Thank you. We'll just stay standing for the rest of the gospel reading that Micah and Jonah led us in this morning. So we'll start at verse 13. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You may be seated. I am in the room. That seems to have caused a... I'm in the room, just in case you hadn't worked that out. There's like nine others doing all this wonderful stuff outside. Um, Do you know what? If you are a parent and you're going to collect your kids, today they're doing their normal program and they're also practicing one play and two dances. So look them in the eye and thank them because they are out there doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, So we've just got 21 sleeps to go. I don't know if you're at a stage in your life where you still measure Christmas by sleeps. It's quite good practice as opposed to measuring it by panic. But 21 sleeps to go. And each of those 21 sleeps is an invitation to remain as a non-anxious, full of peace presence, full of hope, fending off capitalism single-handedly, overcoming consumerism and all its trappings, juggling all your family dynamics, and I'm sure there's plenty, remaining calm during present shopping panic, uh, processing just general seasonal anxiety, and just the general everyday difficulty of trying to hide special food that you've put aside for Christmas Day from your family's roving eye. So I've often said that Christmas comes at the wrong time for us, and it's not controversial, it's just a really important fact. It comes at the wrong time, because in the same month we have impending heat, and we have end-of-year breakups for everything. Who's done some already, and who's looking forward to some coming? Yes. And in that same time frame, we have multiple school events. It's like the school gets excited that the children are leaving, and they put on as many things as they can. It's just a, it's just a parent perspective, Pip, don't worry. Um, and then, as Sam mentioned earlier, then the kids are um, you know, at home and not at school. And then there's planning for a summer holiday. And then there's heat. Um, that's an important one to mention. Um, heat, and then there's endless opportunities for being outside, which is terrible, and then the fact that you need to finish up work for the year, and then everyone else shuts down for the year, and then you need to transform your little lily white limbs, it's just an advance warning for you, into something more presentable for when you start rocking the shorts. So actually I believe that inside of us there's this innate urge to hunker down, in this time. Christmas brings with it a, a hunkering down. With, whether you're with me or not, this is what I'm telling you from the front. We're hunkering down, people. We need to feast and to rest and to go slow and celebrate Jesus with the reverence he deserves. And summer does not provide that reverence. So I'm suggesting a relocation to July, just to the winter months. So the feasting and the resting and the hunkering is a little more satisfactory. So I'm going to work on that and I'll keep you posted. So all of that silliness to say that joy can often be the very last thing on our minds. 
and unfortunately the very last thing in our hearts and even worse, the very last thing on our faces in this season of Advent, Advent and Christmas. We can be under so much pressure as the people responsible for bringing the magic and facing our own little bit of emotional turmoil. And as Sam said last week, it's the trinity of presents, shopping and family. But we know something different to be true as followers of Jesus. We can have hope. We can live in joy. We can know peace and we can experience unconditional love. We can know and experience all of this in the midst of everything else that threatens it and robs us of those beautiful ideals. In the midst of despair, in the midst of numbness and anxiety and isolation. We have all of this wrapped up as a person. We have this embodied and poured out freely in Jesus. And we have this given to us, although it's often not our reality. Uh, John Mark Comer says this, Sorrow is inevitable in life. Joy is not. Joy we have to choose and keep choosing. Richard Foster put it this way, Joy needs to be a consciously chosen way of living and thinking. I've just spent the last few days in Christchurch, and I have seen this theory lived out in delightful practice through the eyes of my four-year-old nephew. He is on from 6 a.m. to 6.30, and life is largely for the living. There is joy to be had at every moment, delight around every corner, and a monologue of wonder and curiosity that freshly reminded me that joy is actually readily available to us. We counted 15 trams, hysterical. We ate marshmallows. We pretended the lift was a rocket ship. We found gasp-worthy museum treasures in the most boring display boxes. We played memory snap like total ninjas. We saw Santa, possibly not the real one, with a backpack. That went off. And then we saw a fire engine, and that really went off. This all happened within a few hours, this kind of unashamedly conscious, joyful living. And it's so refreshing to just roll with it. Much easier, sorry, Joel, as an auntie than a mother. But it's so fun to just enjoy it and lean into it. The last time we talked about joy, it was June. It's nearly six months ago, and we were halfway through the year, and I was particularly interested in talking to you about the phenomena that had become languishing. So languishing was that diagnosed midway point between depression and flourishing that indicated a sense of stuckness, of dulledness. We were overwhelmed by pandemics. We were overwhelmed by lockdowns and all of what that meant for us. And we found ourselves with that loss of momentum, with that dire need for some counterculture defiant joy. So I thought we could just have a little check in with each other, if you're ready. Uh, see how we do, there's panic on people's faces. <laughs> just turn the person next to you and just share you. No, don't. Um, so I just want you to start thinking over these last six months, where did you find joy? Because I did give you some homework. Uh, where did you notice that it was missing? Where did you go looking for it? Where did you seek to cultivate it and intentionally prioritise it? Where did you cry out for it? Where did you demand it? Where did you lean into it? And did I accidentally convert you to Nan's fine art of sewing and list making and looking for Suffolk sheep faces? That was my idea for you for joy as a way in, like a cue, something to help you become a people of joy, something to help me become a person of joy. It's a way to develop some intentionality where there hasn't been any. So actors often use phrases or key words to get them into becoming a character. They need a way in in order to take on the persona of who they're playing. So um, I'm a big fan of The Crown, 
and I just thought it was important to clarify that I understand it's a drama and not a documentary because that got very controversial this year. And I also under, understand there's significant issues with the monarchy and the glorifying of dysfunction. But aside from all of those things, I love it. <laughs> and um, th that's the person playing the then, Prince Charles. So particularly in this program, there's a way that the actors don't mimic their famous counterparts because this is the man playing Prince Charles. And we understand it's not a direct replica of Prince Charles, but they have for themselves ways in. So this is Dominic West, and he has been playing Charles in the latest season. And he uses the word yes, but he says it as is. So I thought we could all practice. Everyone, so you're going, the word you are saying is yes, but you're not saying the word yes. You are saying is, which is a bit ironic, considering the person who's playing it. So you're all going to say, but go low. Oh, good. You're going to go low with your tone and say, ears. So I'll say it, and then you'll say, ears. Well done. So you've found your way in to playing Prince Charles, because he doesn't say yes like a Kiwi. He says, ears. And it's just a tiny word, but it helps him to adjust and create all of his words to sound like that particular distinctive accent. Um, Emma Corrin, last season, uh, used the word all right and dropped it down so that she could play the young Diana. Let's just do that one as well since we're on a roll. So it's, it's all right, but then you drop the bottom and kind of sound quite despondent about every word that you say. All right. All right. See, good. I will get the joy out of you. <laughs> um, all of this to say, this is a way in. So it's a language that actors use to kind of cue them in. And once they've started saying that word, they find the accent for the character. Right, so this is my point. It's the same way for us. If you start writing a joy list, you may accidentally feel a little joyful. If you count 15 trams, you will go crazy for excitement. This is just intentional noticing because what you're telling yourself is the joy is there for the seeing. You're not seeing it, and there's a million reasons why you're not seeing it, and they're all super valid. But you allow yourself the space to delight and celebrate. And we start small. That's why on my list there was Suffolk sheep because I looked up and there were Suffolk sheep and I'm like their faces are quite cute I'm running it down it's not a hard way in it's a little way in it's a beginning it's an on-ramp because we say every time the train stops at every station there's a way on for everybody we're flicking the switch and we're changing our headspace and we know after these last three years we so need to do this we need to change our heads and our hearts and then we can start to embody joy then we can practice Sabbath joyfully. Then we can create healthy rhythms so that we can practice Sabbath joyfully. But beyond that, we need much more. We need some depth. So our way in, our little trigger words or our list making is not going to last. Because the day that you can't see something or you forget your magical thing you're looking for, you'll just see all the things that are not so joyful. So we need something that's more of a foundation and anchoring point. Something steady and solid and not as reliant on circumstance or feeling, something that we build and build into, a source of water that's not raining down, but, and you know, not just needed upon request, but actually found dug deep into sustaining wells. Joy needs to dig down. So ideally at this point in my talk, I would share with you the most amazing, humble, yet hilarious example of how I've completely done this myself. This is the point. And with that really clear picture, I would move us all as a community from being surface joy people to deep joy people. And we would be able to leap Christmas in a single bound. But alas, I have failed you. 
I really wanted this successful story of joy so that I could say I've cracked the code. I've made it work. We're just going to do these simple steps, people, this, this, and this, and turn our smiles upside down. No, turn our frowns up. This is how. <laughs> Let's just do that bit again. This is proof of the fact that I'm not nailing this thing. We're going to turn our frowns up so down, people. You're doing your smiles, so it's okay. And then all of these steps all together would make our life joyful. And I knew I had this part two sermon coming. The pressure has been on. And so it's been a little bit intimidating. Like I have this time frame on myself. You've got to nail the joy of the Lord, Charlotte. You can delight in Sabbath. You can defiantly push back the looming doubts and fears over your ordinary everyday life. And sadly, I'll tell you, I didn't. And I was tested extremely in the last kind of couple of months. There was COVID and then I missed out on church and did I mention the prayer room and did I mention the children praying up the front and I missed out on that. And there was a little bit of discouragement in a couple of other areas of life and then there was just the trials and sadness of other people's lives and then there was a road closure and then just generally life. And I can tell you that at my core, I'm just still a little bit rubbish when it comes to joy. I haven't fully arrived. I had a little bit of a a wobble and I decided to just give up, and I made angry lists instead. (laughs) And um, they don't need a lot of sermon about making an angry list because they just flow quite naturally. (laughs) Things that I think that suck. (laughs) So that's not your homework because that comes on too well. And um, we've really been working at our Sabbaths uh, for so long now, and I know the pattern of Sabbath is that you stop and you rest and you delight and you worship. So my Sabbath started to kind of with a strong go for anxiety, uh, just a rant about just general dissatisfaction, uh, comparison to other people's lives, just general frustration, and just a bit of a rounding off with all the tasks we weren't doing so that we would be setting aside our time to Sabbath. To my credit, and there was some, under pressure I didn't completely throw it all out this time, so I've seen some growth. And these are the things I learnt humbly without much humour. God is good. God is kind, and he's not easily led. He does not alter when you make a list of things that suck. He graciously carries us when we don't have the strength to stand. He is there for the leaning into. I'm pretty sure he has a very wry smile. He is the source of joy. He is faithful and constant, and it will be okay. I had to learn joy as a deep well, not a list. I had to learn joy unmoved by circumstances, unmoved by emotion, and unmoved by missing out. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, our gospel reading for the second week of Advent, starts with a very ordinary scene. It's nighttime, it's dark, and nothing much special is happening. This is just the usual stuff, and I think we forget that when we read the story so many times and we call it the Christmas story. They didn't know they were being the Christmas story. They were doing their jobs. They were on the night shift. They were the dirty job that someone has to do. They're just the average Joe trying to earn a living, keep their heads down, and do what needed to be done. And into this ordinariness bursts the unexpected, terrifying, radiant glory of God that requires these men, these I imagine reasonably rough and brave men who are rugged nighttime guardians as shepherds have to be told, do not be afraid. Caught up in that glorious light show, I imagine they've seen a lot in their lifetimes. Maybe not this kind of visitation, but enough to battle life and death uncertainty, rejection, and fear. And then without much introduction and build-up, despite the fact they're still possibly in a state of terror, this great line is delivered. I bring you 
good news that will bring great joy to all people. Hear this line again. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. It's a solid fact. Good news is coming your way. This line is delivered to the hills and the sheep and the outcasts and the darkness on the fringe of a city at night time. Right in the middle of the mundane, there's a suddenly, and it's described as joy. Good news, great joy, all people. Great joy, that's the mostest joy you can get. That's the joy forever, the joy to end all the joys. And it's common, it's grounded, and it's accessible joy. Good news, great joy, all people. Announced in darkness. Not announced when everything's in order and going super duper well. Announced in darkness. And first to the shepherds. The gap between God and man was thinning. The Saviour, the promise has arrived and it turns out he's a baby. I love the juxtaposition of these rough shepherds going to see a tiny little baby. And I love that the angels give specific details. We know that when babies are announced, it's very important we know how many pounds they are and ounces that they are despite our modern system. And we also need to know if mother and baby are doing well. So the angel didn't say mother and baby are doing well. I don't want to give Jesus a pounds and ounces <laughs> waiting lest I get into trouble. So it wasn't those kind of details, but I love these details. He's wrapped quite well. Someone said, that's going to be important. That needs to be written down. When you find, don't go to those unwrapped babies with their arms flailing and the mum hasn't quite got the swaddle happening and, and arms are escaping. Those are not the ones. We're looking for the wrapped super well and the ones in a manger. So I think that hopefully narrowed it down on that night. They definitely got it right because we know how the story goes. But let's not gloss over the language of this really overly familiar story and let's feel it instead. Let's experience all those strange little details like this wording of this will be the sign. The way the angels want you to know they're telling the truth is that you are correct if you've got the swaddled baby in a manger. And I think it's okay to say that this feels a little odd, the specifics they chose for the saviour, the great rescue plan, the promise of the prophets. A swaddled baby is a normal sight. So that's, you know, remember a good sign of looking after your baby helps them stay calm. The manger is slightly different. This is where I feel that the joy starts to bubble. This is a little odd. This is different. It's dark. They're in charge of sheep. And now they're going off to look for some specific details about a baby. I love the care the angels give to not alarm the shepherds further, as if to say, look, we know how this looks. But this is the plan. You will find it just as we describe. So don't think it's weird and don't think you've got the wrong saviour of the world. Ours is the one in the manger. That's the good news. That's the great joy. That's the thing that's for all people. And on those words, everything changes. Everything changes. This is the good news. If you're ever not sure what the good news is, the good news is the baby came. Let's go and let's see and let's tell everyone. This is joy declared that becomes joy embodied. It's joy as a reality. This joy breaks in and it can't but help break out. The joy's not just personal, it's received and then it's poured out and it spills over to others. In Luke's account, no sooner have the angels left than it says the shepherds immediately head out and rush off. They hurry to see this thing that happens. They hurry to a baby. 
I wonder if they feel a bit bemused at this stage, at how it's all playing out, or whether the style of the announcement, so quite dramatic, doesn't reflect the information, tiny baby, contained in it. But they don't respond that way. They don't sit around and say, do you know what, we should process this. This is interesting. We should talk about it. We should maybe think about how we're going to respond about it. We should maybe consult some people. We should just maybe sit on it, maybe overnight, just really think about how it's going to affect us. They don't weigh it up. They get the message. They get the message. Maybe I wondered if sitting in the darkness makes you hungry for light. Maybe when you're waiting, your vision gets sharpened. Maybe when you really need good news and great joy, you will hurry for it. This good news is real and solid and immediate and invitational and accessible. There weren't instructions about waiting in line. There weren't instructions about letting certain other people go before you. There weren't instructions about cleaning up and tidying up and organising yourself well. This was God in the flesh, in the midst of us, the great long-anticipated rescue plan sent to normal people who weren't that flesh. And I hope that feels familiar for you. I wonder if we forget that we carry the good news, this same good news, that we too bear great joy, that we in some way are part of this bringing of hope and peace and joy and love to our world, to our community, to our neighbours, to those in the supermarket queue behind us. You know who pushed the trolley just a little close? Just that little feeling of not keeping the space, all those ones in the traffic line just in front of us who hopefully don't ask you what you do as a job. And like those shepherds, there is noises to be made. There is joy to behold. There are stories to tell. There's action to take. There's celebrations to be had and praises to be sung. There is darkness out there and in here that needs light. And there's suffering that needs peace. And there's despair that needs hope and loneliness that needs joy. This good news is our joy. We need to let it flood in and burst out. And it's enough. It's reorientating and it changes things. And it will stay deep down in us if we respond to it and hold on to it. It is the source of joy. It's a promise fulfilled in the possibility of hope. N.T. Wright, as the Bishop of Durham did this beautiful sermon on Christmas Eve 2007. Um, And obviously it was at midnight. And he said, And we who worship this Jesus on this holy night, we who listen again to the song which the angels sang once and once only, we who begin to glimpse the reality that in Jesus heaven and earth really did come together, we now have the responsibility to learn to sing the song for ourselves and so to discover what it might look like in practice for Jesus really to be the Saviour, the King, the Lord in the sad old world. We are the Christmas people. We are the hearers of the same good news and the great joy and have the opportunity to receive joy and to give joy. Um, N.T. Wright again, if it's true that this child born at Bethlehem that night was and is the Saviour, the Messiah, the Lord, then that must translate into something far more solid and life-changing and community-rescuing than simply a warm nostalgia in a glow. Even though, much though, sorry, we all rightly enjoy that too. There is a challenge 
in the story of the shepherds, that we don't just personalise and internalise that wonderful message of joy and say, oh, thank goodness, because it's been terrible, but that we actually let it go deep down in us enough that it can survive, but deep down enough that it can bubble out and impact other people. Remember, it came first to the shepherds, to the ordinary, to the normal, to those on the edge. So let's lean into the season of Advent and allow it to gently remind us of the joy that we carry, the joy that exists beyond circumstances, beyond lists being checked off, even though that's very important at this time of year, and the joy that exists beyond things just being okay. Let it gently prompt us as a community to draw towards the good news that we have. It's light and hope, and it's the rescue, the saviour of the weary world. Let it cause us to overflow with this joy, that joy given can be joy received, that joy breaking in can also break out. This is resistance. This is what it looks like. This is the revolution in the face of despair. You don't have to stand around too long at the warehouse or the (laughs) countdown to realise that the world is weary. Let this be the thing that propels us and others towards Jesus. Jesus is our wonderful counsellor our mighty God, our everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the good news for all people. So some reflections for us, I've borrowed these from Bridgetown because they're just too good to try and make into my own. Remember, we've just got 21 sleeps to go. That's now the way you're going to be talking. And in those 21 sleeps, we have the chance to develop a sheep, a shepherd-like, not a sheep-like, it'd be disastrous, they're just it, a shepherd-like joy, Uh, as a way to kind of respond and deeply cultivate our wells of joy that we're digging down. So um, Bridgetown says, true joy is ultimately born of and from salvation. Our salvation is God stepping into and changing our reality, breathing life into the things we thought were dead. For the apprentices of Jesus that we are, our salvation, our rescue from sin and its effects on our world is not static. It is something that happened and keeps happening. In the scriptures, joy is rooted both in God and in the ways of God, or living life as God intended it. Through Jesus, God is showing us the best way to be human, to live a life filled with joy. So some reflection questions for yourself. Number one. Where did I experience joy this last week? And I'm sorry you missed out on 15 trams because that was the winner. <laughs> Number two, where do I need an experience? Where do I need to experience joy or remember the joy of my salvation this coming week? And number three, how and to whom can I embody and reflect God's joy this week? So what this practice is helping us do is to look for joy. That's our way in, the things that we can notice, the ways that we can wonder. And then it's kind of taking us to think, yeah, that was great. But coming into this week, what can I think about or remember that's going to help me this week and use joy in that way? And then thirdly, how can I start to embody this joy so that I can reflect God's joy this week. And there's so many opportunities to do that. Smiling at children while they're stuck in grocery queues is fantastic. Helpful for the parent that's with them, helpful for the child, distracts them a little bit. We can all do that. You just start talking about, I don't know, countdown Lego things, anything. Just ask them how they are. It's not too weird. Don't be weird. That would be awkward if I've just told you all to go and be weird. Just be nice but not weird. There we go. 
But that's why I'm thinking about embodying joy is not that you suddenly arrive and say, behold, I bring you great news and glad tidings, find a baby, make sure it's wrapped. The unwrapped ones are not our ones. I just mean in your normal life, find a way to embody joy. It, it, smiles are quite helpful for embodying joy. So firstly, I'm thinking you may be here this morning and you may just need to hear this truth for yourself. You may just think, you know what, I've just got to dig that well. I've got to find my way in, find your ears. And um, so that good news and great joy is available to you. Dig a deep well. Ask God to help you look to him as the greatest source of joy. Or you might feel that you know this already, but you need it to increase and actually shape who you are, how you see the world and how you start to carry your joy outwardly. Or you may know this already and carry it beautifully already, but maybe you just need to let it break out a little bit more. That shepherd-style joy that goes to everyone, slightly unhinged and prone to share stories. However you find yourself in this Advent season of the build-up to Christmas and the run-out to the end of yet another tough year, let's not be a people who just give up and cross the finish line flattened and weary. Let's instead in our darkness and our despair seek that small flickering light of joy, the light of the world himself, who calls us as his followers to bear light, not in a a fearful brace position kind of way, but with eyes of wonder, with hearts full of knowledge of great joy and a defiant celebration of hope. Um, Okay, there's a few things that I want to do as I finish because I want to give you some time at the end to reflect on those um, three questions. We'll put those back up so that you can either take a photo or just sit with it. But um, firstly, I'd like to pray over you. And secondly, I have this part that doesn't fit into my sermon, but I really want to share it with you as an encouragement to you. So I'm just calling it a pastoral postscript. (laughs) Um, So stand and I'll pray for you. I prayed this prayer over you in June um, when we read uh, Romans 15 verse 13. But the words are so true in this season. I pray that God, the source of hope, would fill you, Bay Vineyard Church, completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray that again for you. I pray that God who is the source of hope, would fill you completely with joy and peace because all you have to do is trust in him. And then this will overflow from you with a confident hope, not through your own capabilities or your own doing super darn well, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you may experience joy in the coming of Jesus this Christmas, that you may find yourself accidentally laughing, dancing even, or singing, and you would know that God is present with you in your joy, that you may look to him always as the greatest source of joy. Lord, I just thank you for those uh, reflection questions. And Lord, I just pray in this space now that you would just bring to mind those times when we have felt joyful, those times that we have accidentally thought, oh, I feel a little bit okay and a little bit happy. And God, I pray that as we increase that list and that noticing and that wonder, that this would start to become a deep well in us, something that we're stashing away for the future and building as a strong foundation. 
I pray for our coming weeks, Lord, where there are things that we really um, are concerned about or just know we need the joy of our salvation to hold us together. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would embody joy. That is a defiant act against everything that goes on in these next 21 sleeps, Lord, that we would be the people who know that we have good news of great joy for all people and that we would embody that in our everyday normal lives, that we would start to let that joy that you have placed in us overflow, that where joy breaks in, it would break out. And that we would just know that all of this source comes from you. All of this comes from the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's not about trying well, but it's about leaning into who you are.